to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's opening question there in verse 15, take a look at it, drives the text. Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? His question in verse 15 references his statement in verse 14. Look at it. For sin will not have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Under law is a life lived in the old man. Jim alluded to it as the old covenant, the old way. The first Adam, under condemnation and death. That death comes because we break God's law. We died to that man in Christ. We preached this last week. We are no longer under law. Both verses 14 and 15 tell us that clearly. Under grace, what does that mean? It means a life lived in the new man. Christ is the second Adam. It means that we receive what he earned. We are justified and we receive new life. When he died, we died to sin. When he rose from the dead to new life, we rose from the dead to new life. Thomas Schreiner helps us understand the difference between under law and under grace. We need to understand that in the following quote. Believers are no longer in the old redemptive era, what Jim called the old covenant. The law is good, but we could never be made righteous before God by obeying the law because none of us can obey it perfectly. Believers are no longer in the old redemptive era where sin exercised dominion through the law and death. You break the law, you die. We all break the law, we all die. They are in the new era of redemptive history in which grace reigns. Here's the question that Paul frames in verse 15. If we are no longer under law but under grace, if it no longer depends on my obedience but rather I rely on Christ's obedience, then is is it okay for me to sin? Can I just break the Ten Commandments? If salvation is by grace and not law, then are we free to sin? And what does Paul say at the end of verse 15? No way, Jose. Actually, by no means. In any language, in any vernacular, in any culture, the strongest way you can say it, no. And then Paul says, the fact that you even ask that question reveals that you do not understand something about grace and its nature, and you don't understand that you truly are not free. And this is the point, if you are here as a guest, or perhaps as an unbeliever, I want you to pay attention to, because this is perhaps what you may not understand. This is what God wants to speak to you this morning. He wants to speak to all of us about this. But here's here's the deal. Paul was saying, you don't understand. You are not your own master. Corey alluded that to this. You are not your own master. You are actually a slave of someone or something. 
The question is, who or what? Now, if you're here this morning, again, as a guest, you're checking out Christianity, you're here because of family members, I just want to say to you, thank you for coming. It is a privilege for me. And I would love to talk to you. I'd love to hear from you what you're thinking, especially after a sermon. It would be very, very instructive for me. But, but you may not, may not understand what God is saying here in this text about your true condition. It may not be apparent to you on the outside, but your true condition. You may think that you're free, but you're, but you're not. And I pray that God would show you that during the course of this sermon. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning, which I'm assuming the bulk of you are, if you're a member perhaps of Palm Vista or you're checking us out, you might be think, tempted to think the following. Hey, if I am saved by what Christ has done and not what I do, does it matter if I just sin a little bit? Can I just have a little fun here? If I'm saved by grace, why get up in the morning and read my Bible? Why pray? If it's all by grace, um, can I kind of just enjoy salvation and still enjoy a little sin on the side? What God would want to remind us, dear Christians, is what we preached last week. Jim alluded to it in his worship. Sin will no longer have dominion over you. You don't understand grace if you ask that question. You have been set free from the slavery of sin. It's dominion. You have a new master, as Corey said. So why would you want to go back and serve him? And by the way, he's not a very good master, which we're going to see in this text. You see, what, what Paul is saying to us and to everyone is that no one is his own master. There are no free agents. We all serve somebody. The way he says it here is we're all slaves to someone. The word slaves is used eight times in this text. Nine verses, it's used eight times. And it's used to make this point. We're all slaves of someone or something. We all serve somebody. Hence, the title, Gotta Serve Somebody. Let me explain the bad grammar. If you're over 40 years of age, you will recognize the title from Bob Dylan's hit song released in 1979. Give me a show of hands if you were not born in 1979. You did not exist on earth in 1979. All right. Great. I love it. I love having a young church. All right. He re it was released in 1979 in his album, Slow Train Coming. And it, he wrote it during a season of his life when he was exploring Christianity. You know, Bob Dylan's uh, name is Robert Zimmerman, right? Jewish. And uh, he was exploring Christianity during that time. 1980, the next year, Gotta Serve Somebody was awarded a Grammy for Best Rock Vocal Performance by a Male. It's a long song, as many Bob Dylan songs are. But I think this one verse and chorus will give you a sense of what the song is all about. You may be a construction worker working on a home. You might be living in a mansion. You might live in a dome. You might own guns and you might even own tanks. You might be somebody's landlord. You might even own banks. But you're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord but you're going to have to serve somebody. The lyric, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, means there is no escape. Each of us is beholden to someone. 
You got to serve somebody. Nobody is free. It's a myth to think that you can be your own master, beholden to no one, that you are truly free from all other masters, that you are somehow a free agent. No. Scripture teaches us there's only one who is truly free. There is only one free agent, and he is the God of the Bible, our creator, who exists in and of himself. He's totally self-sufficient, who alone does whatever he pleases. He alone answers to no one. The rest of us got to serve somebody. Friend, you are serving somebody. You have a master. You are a slave to someone or something. The question is, who or what? Look at verse 16 of Romans 6. We have the answer of whom do we serve? Whom do you serve? To whom am I in slavery? To whom am I slave? Well, the answer is in 16. Do you not know that if you present yourself to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Friend, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, the one to whom you present yourself as an obedient slave. And according to this text, there are only two options. You are either a slave of sin or you are a slave of God. There's no middle ground. The word slaves is used eight times in the text. Most of those times it is used to contrast two different slaveries. Look at verse 16. You're either slaves of sin or slaves of obedience. Look at verses 17 and 18. You're either slaves of sin or slaves of righteousness. Look at verses 20 to 22. You're either slaves of sin or slaves of God there at the end of verse 22. Every human being is a slave of either God or sin. I know that may be new for you, but consider it. It's what this text teaches. In Romans 6.16, the verse that we're looking at, when Paul speaks of presenting ourselves as obedient slaves, he is actually describing what the Bible calls worship. We are all worshipers. God created us so that we might worship him. That's how he created human beings. But sadly, in the Garden of Eden, the old man, the first Adam, he turned his back on God. He rebelled against God. He refused to worship God. And when he did that, he became a slave of sin. Look at Romans 1.25 on the screen. This describes humanity apart from Christ. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Failing to worship the one true God, we find ourselves worshiping and serving the creature. We begin to look to people for things that only God can give us. We make our spouse, our children, our boss, our gods, small g, looking for them what only God can give us. Often this occurs in the area of acceptance, security, Life itself. And my friends, when we do that, we present ourselves to idols. We are slaves of sin. And it is a particularly bad slavery because in verse 16 it says that it's a slavery that leads to death. We'll do anything to get what we want. We present ourselves to these idols and we die. We die. 
I just want to pause and, and just ask you to consider what dominates you. What's the one thing you're behold, you really look to as that's going to be it. That's my ticket. That's going to be what, I, that's what I'm working for. When I get that, I'll have it. I'll make it. People's acceptance, pleasure, pornography, anxiety, anger, substance abuse. Who are you serving? Here's the good news of this text. In verses 17 and 18, God sets us free from our slavery to sin so that we might serve Him. Great news. In fact, that's the main point of the text, I believe. God sets us free from the slavery of sin to serve Him. You've got to serve somebody. Who will it be? In order to be set free from sin, friends, we first have to acknowledge that we're slaves to it. I'm enslaved to that alcohol. I look to it as my God to provide me the peace that my family does not provide me, that my wife does not provide me. It, it provides me just, just dealing with the pain of my work and my failures as a middle-aged man. I go to the bottle. That's my God. I go... To, to, to the drugs, I go to the illicit affairs. Those become our gods and we're enslaved to sin. And what I pray, I pray, or, or, or I, I've got to have that money, that security, so I'm going to drive myself to work mercilessly and, and, and deny my family the time that they need. I'm going to be a driven, anxious, envious, greedy, selfish man or woman. And the end is death. And I pray that God would give you that acknowledgement and a growing sense of sorrow, whether you're a Christian or an unchristian, over your slavery to sin, your rebellion against God. But here's what I want to highlight this morning. Having acknowledged that, having said, oh God, I see that, know this, that by His grace, because He is slow to anger, because He is merciful, because He takes time, because He sent His Son to die for our sins, here's the glorious truth. Point one, God sets us free from the slavery of sin. God sets us free from the slavery of sin. Verses 17 and 18, but thanks be to God. Paul saying, thanks be to God that though you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, remember there's only two options, slaves of sin or slaves of God or righteousness or, or obedience. You've become slaves of righteousness. So what jumps out at you in these verses is that as a Christian, we're not standing in some neutral middle ground. As if Satan were on this side and God was on this side and they're calling to us and like, which one am I going to go run to? No, no. This text tells us that God has saved us. He's redeemed us. He's delivered us from the dominion of sin. Remember verse 14? Sin shall have no dominion over you if you're not under law, but you're under grace. We did nothing to make this deliverance happen. All we can do is thank God like Paul did in verse 17. Friends, you and I were born into slavery of sin because we inherited that from our father, Adam, in his rebellion in the Garden of Eden. And just as we were set free from the slavery of sin when we were born again in Christ Jesus, when we were adopted by God the Father, He became our Father. And we thank God, as Paul did in verse 17. And this thanks is very important. See, he thanked God 
for enabling them to become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Look at the text. Put your finger on it. Verse 17, you got it? But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What is the standard of teaching? The standard of teaching is the gospel. The standard of teaching is the good news. It's everything the Bible says about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And when it says we've become obedient from the heart, this is how the Bible talks about conversion. Look at Romans 1.5. Paul talks about conversion in those terms as well there. Romans 1.5. Though through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. I'm going to go preach the gospel. When, you, when you're converted, there's an obedience of faith. When you're converted by God, there's an obedience from the heart. Our obedience is the sign that the gospel has changed us from the heart. It is born of faith. It's the power of God to change us truly from the inside out. Thanks be to God, we're now slaves of righteousness rather than slaves of sin at the end of verse 18. And now in verse 19 is where Paul pauses. And in a sense, he kind of apologizes for using the illustration of slavery to highlight salvation. Remember, he's saying you're either a slave of sin or a slave of God. This is a picture of salvation. You're going to either obey this, present your bodies to this, or this. And one who's converted is one who now has the obedience of faith. That faith doesn't earn us God's acceptance, but it's what we do now that we are accepted. But he pauses in verse 19. Look at 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. What, what he's saying there is, I apologize for using slavery as an illustration here, but not really. I'm doing it because of your weakness, our weakness. We're, we're humans. But he says, even though this illustration is inadequate because none of the negatives of slavery apply to God, he still calls us slaves of God here. But it's very helpful illustration, and in fact, it's the illustration God chose by the Holy Spirit, inspired Paul to use here, because what it does highlight is one of the main points here. God is our master. He's a good master. He's our true master, whom we serve with all of our hearts. See, what is clear in verse 19, just like it was in verse 16, is that we all serve somebody. None of us is free. We are all slaves of somebody or something. We are, we are either slaves of, look at verse 19, we are either slaves of impurity, lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, and ultimately death, or we are slaves of righteousness, of God, leading to life. Now here's how you know whom you serve. Using the analogy of the text, here's how you know whose slave you are. You are the slave of the one to whom you most consistently present your members for obedience. I was thinking about during worship, as Jim was leading us in worship, thank you, Jim, for doing that, and the band was playing. I loved it, full band, lots of noise. I'm a Latin. I like drums. I like yelling. I like screaming. Please yell and scream with me in the mornings. That way we can all do it and not feel weird about it. Um, should never feel weird about it. And I was just thinking, I'm dog-tired. <laughs> it's been a difficult week for me. Lots happened, my mom, many things. 
And, and as people started clapping, you know, I thought, I was like sitting there, you know, have you been there like, ah, I don't know if I'm up to clapping here, you know. I'm here, I'm singing, my mind is fairly engaged, but clapping, I got to pay attention to the rhythm, I got to watch Joe, am I doing it when he's hitting that, I'm listening to Jim, I'm like, can I just like sit here and let it wash over me? Then I said, wait a second, you're preaching a message this morning where you're going to tell the people to present their members to God in worship. And I thought, I'm going to clap. I'm going to present my hands to God in worship. Okay, it's not, it's not for you. I, I, the Bible's filled with clapping and shouting and screaming and yelling and silence and quiet. I got that. It's got them all, okay? I, got, I know what some of you are thinking. But I'm going to present my members to God because he redeemed me. He set me free from the slavery to sin. Sin will no longer have dominion over me. Now I'm a slave of obedience. I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm a slave of God. And I'm going to present my members to God. Or as it says here in verse 19, present my members as slaves to righteousness. To righteousness. See, this command to present our members to righteousness is based on the fact that God delivered us in verses 17 and 18. You get that? I'm not presenting them to get God's righteousness. God's righteousness is a free gift. It is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I get it. Now, I'm presenting. I'm presenting. I'm presenting. Are you presenting? And to whom do you present your members? By the way, your members really is your whole life, not just your body. Whom do we serve? I'll tell you who we serve. We serve the one who set us free from the slavery of sin and promised us eternal life. You see, he gives us the command to present ourselves to serve God based upon the previous indicative, the action, the fact of God to save us and redeem us and looking forward in verses 20 to 23 to God's promises. So listen, church, we, we present ourselves to the one who has saved us and the one who promises us eternal life. We present ourselves to God. We serve God, point two. Now, if you look at verse 19, you will see that we grow in our slavery to God or in our slavery to sin based upon the presenting of our members. Look at it. Verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. What he's talking about here is that because we have the righteousness of Christ as a gift, because we've set free, we are no longer, just as you used to present your members to sin, that's one slave, that's one master, everybody either has that one. So now, having been redeemed by Christ, present your members to God. The same way you presented them to sin, present them to God. Which, which tells me that God did the work of saving us, but then commands us to walk in that salvation. God did the work of setting me free from the slavery of sin, but then tells me now walk in your freedom by presenting yourselves no longer to sin, but to God, to righteousness, to obedience. This is what the Bible calls sanctification. That word is found in verse 19. This leads to sanctification. Sanctification is being set aside for God's purposes. Sanctification is being conformed or made into the image of Christ. Sanctification is growing in holiness unto God. Sanctification, according to Wayne Grudem, is defined 
thusly. Sanctification is a progressive work of God, progressive work of God, and man. Justification, solely the work of God. I bring nothing to that. He justifies me by faith in Christ alone. I was dead, he makes me alive. If you're dead, you cannot cooperate in anything. <laughs> you're dead, God makes you alive. Justi justification. Sanctification is a progressive work, a progressive work of God and man. Ah, we cooperate. There's a synergism here. And it makes us more and more free from sin. Yes, it does, Wayne. Wayne has read this, this verse right here. Makes us more and more free from sin. He, by the way, Wayne Grudem, Systematic Theology, get it. And like Christ in our actual lives, in our actual lives, in our actual lives. See, presenting our members to God is an active pursuit on our part, made possible by God's initial act of setting us free from sin, verse, verses 17 and 18, and now making us slaves of righteousness that is saving us. And now we live as his slaves by the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead, by the power of God given to us through the Holy Spirit, we're becoming who we are becoming in Christ. How do we do that? By the power of God, but by presenting myself, by presenting myself, by presenting myself. I'm doing this workout, this crazy workout, this 21-day fix. One of the things they said is you can't wish for it, you have to work for it. Okay, now I know what some of you are thinking. Whoa, wait a second, Al, I don't work for my salvation. Absolutely right, you don't. I'm not talking justification. This is where people get, I think, confuse it. But here, he's giving you a command. He's giving me a command. Present your members. Be who you're becoming. This is who you are in Christ. Oh, so can I just sin all I want, Paul, because I'm saved by grace and it's all Christ's work? You don't understand grace. You don't understand it. Why would you want to do that? You've been set free from that dominion into this freedom. We have to make a decision. Who will be our master? To whom will we offer ourselves in worship? To the false gods who we hope will give us what we need or to the one true God who is our master and the only one who can meet our needs? How does that play out in my life, Al? Good question. Let's give you a scenario. Let's say you go to work tomorrow and you are horribly slandered. People begin to speak things about you that are not true. Freeze the moment. To whom am I going to give myself? Who am I going to bow down and worship? My little God of acceptance, and I've got to be seen as always omniconfident, the best guy that ever lived, the best pastor that ever lived, the best father that ever lived, and I'm bowing to these people's acceptance of me. And if I do, I'll do anything to get that. And I will slander back. I will initiate you know, global warfare, nuclear warfare, guerrilla warfare, speaking of guerrillas. I will do anything I can to, to get that person back. And at the end of the day, they're going, now, who, who's God? Who do you serve? You're a what? You're a Christian? Hmm. Or at that moment, I can say, you know what? It's hard. I want to turn around and slug them verbally. Okay? Never physically. Um, I want to, children, uh, I want to, you know, I want, but now I'm going to give myself, I'm not going to give myself to them anymore. I don't have to. I'm not a slave of sin anymore. I'm going to give myself to you, God. I'm going to trust you. you I'm going to worship you. Your acceptance, what you think of me in Christ is enough. I have been set free. God has wiped away every sin from my life. Everyone, and if God is satisfied, if God is satisfied, yes, it's going to hurt, but I can endure you thinking poorly of me. And I'm going to respond 
with kindness and pray for them. I'm not going to fire back. What one area is God speaking to you about? Where you have given yourself to sin and he is gently calling you to give yourself to him. Listen, verse 20. Verse 20 teaches us that no one is truly free. Because see, verse 20, look at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. See, verse 20 tells us, listen, to you, O man or woman, who says, hey, hey, I want to be free to break the Ten Commandments. Remember back to our original question in verse 15. See, you're not free. You think you're free of that, but you're not, because the moment you free yourself from the Ten Commandments, you become a slave of sin. And we look at verse 21, and the fruit of that slavery is far worse than the fruit of your slavery to God. The fruit of slavery to your sin. You think you're free because you don't, you think you're free because you're cheating on your wife? You think you're free because you, you're committing adultery? And, you know, that's just like old timey, you know? You think you're free because you're embracing wrong views about work or you're stealing? No, no. The moment you become free, you, you unloose yourself from the law, you become a slave of sin. And verse 21 says that the fruit of slavery to sin, look at it. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things to which you were now ashamed? It's shame. It's like Adam and Eve when they rebelled against God. Prior to the rebellion, I read this at their wedding, they were naked and unashamed. And as soon as they rebelled, they were ashamed. They realized they were naked. And we've been, and they started hiding. And we've been hiding from our spouses and hiding from one another and hiding from God. And all we do is do shameful things in the dark with that computer screen lit with those images that are wrong. You're not free, friend. You're in bondage, as am I. For the end of those things is death, verse 21. But now, look at this. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. God sets us free. God sets us free. Look at verse 22. But now, but now, but now, but now that you have been set free from sin. Yes, that is our legal status and have become slaves of God. Yes, I'm gladly your slave. I'm gladly, you're my master. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. And its end, eternal life. Eternal life is ours as slaves of God. This life begins now, but it's not fully consummated now. Remember the already, not yet. But one day it will be. I will have a resurrected body. I have hope today because of what I see and is promised to me in the future. So Paul is saying, friends, 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 Romans, (laughs) lend me your ears. What we live for, what controls us, what masters us will either bring death if it's sin or life and there are no other options. None. Verse 23 tells us that. Here's the two options. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whose slave are you this morning? Who is your master To whom do you give yourself in worship? There are only two choices. Either sin, whose wages are death, or God, whose wage, excuse me, whose gift is eternal life. Oh, see the difference. See the difference. 
Whereas sin is that master whose wage is death. It's a wage we've earned through our idolatry and rebellion and sin. Listen, listen. God is a master whose gift, not wage, gift is eternal life. And he bought that gift with his own blood. I willingly want to be your slave, Lord. Please take a moment to dwell on this fact. God gives us a free gift, a gift earned by Jesus Christ for us, a gift that results in eternal life. You can never earn it, dear unbeliever. You can only receive it. But to receive it, you must acknowledge your state right now. And if you do, if you cry out to God as he gives you the grace, you will be delivered from the slavery of sin, though you don't think you're a slave to sin, though you don't see yourself enslaved to addictions or alcohol or whatever. But God says you are. He's he's willing to give you life if you would but repent and believe. This free gift comes to those who become slaves of God, the illustration of conversion here by God's sovereign grace. And dear believer, will you think on and give thanks for God's free gift of eternal life in Christ? What God gives you, you did not deserve. You could never earn. It is a gift But though we cannot ever earn it, God does call us to walk in it. What does that look like for you? And that is the gift, this gift of life that empowers us to declare with a loud voice to one another and to the world that God's free gift of grace doesn't lead us to sin. No, you don't understand grace. Don't ask me if I can sin more because I'm under grace. No, it doesn't lead us to to sin as its slaves. No, it leads us to God as his slaves, to righteousness. God gives us the free gift of Christ's righteousness and then rewards us for that righteousness, a foreign righteousness, not ours, his, with eternal life. Let us present our members to him, shall we, church? Let's pray. Lord God, I pray that you would please grant us the grace to hear this word. May it fall upon us uh, with great conviction. May it fall upon my unbelieving friends gathered here before me uh, with a desire and even an understanding and fresh faith to repent and believe. That they would see, you know what, I never saw it, but I, I am a slave to sin. I think I see it out, crying out to God. If that is the case, I, I would love to talk to them or they could talk with someone else. But Lord, I pray that you would save your people, your elect, right now. Today would be the day of salvation. And for us as Christians, Lord, I pray that we would remember that we've been set free from the slavery of sin to serve you. That we would see your unilateral action in saving us. You justified us all. It's all on you. You did it. You did it. But now you call us to cooperate. You call us to present our members, our lives to you as slaves of obedience, slaves of righteousness, slaves of God. And you're a good master. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me stand and give you the benediction, please. Look this way. Stand to your feet. As God's people, this is for you. Dear church, the Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you, upon us, and give you and us peace in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace.
Amen? Amen. 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 You are dismissed, church. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to say hi to you right through these doors.